was so intense. <clears throat> I feel like I'm at the movie theater. Good morning. Um, my name is Holland uh, Redinger, as was said, and I'm, I'm happy to be here with you this morning. Um, my husband and I, we've been part of Renew for about a year, um, but it doesn't really feel like that because COVID has made life weird, and I feel like we haven't gotten to get to know very many of you. So if we don't know you, we would love to know you. We're people people. We like that. So um, I've lived in Eau Claire for the last 10 years or so, went to university here, and then uh, got involved in the ministry of InterVarsity, which is a campus ministry, and uh, didn't leave. So decided to come on staff with InterVarsity. Isaac and I are both on staff. Um, we love it. We're passionate about what God does in on the college campus. Um, and it's been a really beautiful gift, even through hard seasons and COVID, all of that. Uh, it's amazing. I get to be, like every week, eyewitness to something that God is doing in the lives of college students on campus. So yeah, I love my job. College students are a lot of fun. I'm looking at a few of you. Um, so yes, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. So we've been going through a little series called Habits as our really intense video showed. Um, And I I think it's actually really important that the church talk about habits and the things we do with our time, and especially important that we distinguish the kinds of habits we do that benefit us spiritually as God's people. And I think another way of saying habits is just like spiritual practices or spiritual disciplines, which I think maybe has fallen out of favor in the last few years, but I think it's a kind of good word. Um, And in all these habits that we're talking about, what we really need to know and understand is that they're not actually, maybe this is a hot take, but I don't think they're actually for us at all. Um, I think all these habits are for the Lord. Um, They're not exactly to make us a better person or say we accomplished all these goals or got all these results, even if that does happen. um, Our spiritual habits are intended to lead us into deeper intimacy and worship of God. And so this morning, we're talking about the habit of generosity and giving, which maybe makes a bunch of you super uncomfortable. No, I'm just kidding. I feel like that's what you have to say when you say the habit. I feel like generosity, there's always this disclaimer, like, who's uncomfortable? Um, But (laughs) it's actually so great, and I'm excited. Um, And we're going to talk about this morning, but I think giving is one of the most powerful ways that we can declare the message of Jesus to a greedy, self-absorbed, self-serving world. Um, it's radical love, completely countercultural, and honestly, free and generous giving is really hard to find, even in the big C church. Giving and generosity can come in a lot of different forms, not just money, although we are going to talk some specifics about money this morning, but it's not just about finances. I think we can be generous or stingy with our time. Um, I think this is a huge place. I think we could be generous or stingy with our talents, with the things that God has blessed us with to serve others. And obviously, we could be generous or stingy with our resources. So our homes, our belongings, and of course, our bank accounts. And so we're going to look at a section of scripture in 2 Corinthians this morning. But before we do that, I just want to share a brief word on the amazing gift of getting to read the Bible as often as we want. Since I've never spoken here before, you're like, who is this person? Let me tell you my take on scripture. So I think the Bible, right, some of you may have brought your physical copies, in which case I think you might get bonus points at this point. Um, 
it's complex, and it's confusing, and it's amazing, right? It's the most beautiful gift God gave us besides Jesus. And it was written thousands and thousands of years ago by many different God-inspired authors in three different languages, not our language, unless you, maybe actually, maybe some of you speak those languages, but generally, a really different language than ours, to an entirely different culture and a very different time period. So when we pick up the Bible, we cross millennia, uh, we cross cultures, we cross language and customs, and actually even we cross religious practices, right? The whole first half of our Bible is the Hebrew Bible, and so we're entering into a lot of different stuff. And yet, this book, the Bible, is what we in the church hold to be utmost truth. And it's one of the main ways that we hear from God and can learn about him and know him. And the classic line is, it wasn't written to us, um, but it is for us as God's people thousands of years later. And so this is why I am particularly passionate about knowing the context of the text that we're reading. Um, What did it mean for the original writer? And even more so, what did it mean to the audience that it was written to? What was the original intention What can we learn from that? So this morning, we're looking at a chapter in the second letter. Paul, the Apostle Paul, wrote to the Corinthians. um, And it's in in the second half of your Bible, if you've got it with you. And so in 2 Corinthians, Paul is writing to the church in Corinth for a few different reasons. But largely, he just wants them to know he cares about them. And he cares about their discipleship to Jesus. And he wrote 1 Corinthians, obviously, because that came before this. And um, actually, in the beginning of 2 Corinthians, we're going to see that people don't really like what he wrote to them the first time. He was kind of laying down some hard truth. Um, Because there were major problems in the church in the city of Corinth. Many people, pretty much everybody in the city was worshiping a bunch of different gods. And so the church itself was like, I don't know, who do we worship? How do we worship Jesus alone? Um, Sexual sin was everywhere. The church itself was extremely divided. And this is all in the first century after Jesus' death, so they're just trying to figure out what it even means to be Christians. And not all these relate directly to us, but when I read that list, I'm like, wow, uh, that lines up, that tracks. We have some of those things still happening currently. So um, be encouraged. We can enter into the letter of 2 Corinthians with some comfort. And we're just jumping into a really small section this morning. So in chapters 8 and 9, just to give you a tiny bit more, and then we're going to actually read it, Paul is addressing a a specific situation that's happening in the early church at the time. So here's the situation. There's Jewish Christians in Jerusalem and in the surrounding areas, they're experiencing extreme famine. So it's like a severe famine and they are deeply in need of their brother and sister churches around uh, them to support them. And as Paul describes it, um, a lot of these other churches in many of these other cities They were really willing and very generous in giving to this situation, particularly the church in a city called Macedonia, which apparently had a lot of its own problems financially and was going under extreme persecution. Um, But as he describes it in chapter 8, they gave to the churches in Jerusalem, and Paul writes, in the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify, they gave as much as they were able, even beyond their ability. 
And so he's building to a point here. The Macedonian church, they gave when they had nothing. Literally, they were in extreme poverty is how the NIV translates it. And they did it with overflowing joy. Unfortunately, the church in Corinth does not share this overflowing joy. Uh, They do not have the same eagerness to give to the situation. And from Paul's writing, it seems like it's coming from a place of scarcity. They are afraid that if they give what they have, nobody's going to come and support them when they're in need. So we find chapter 9 in this letter. He's both encouraging them and challenging them to change their hearts around generosity, where they're currently keeping to themselves and hoping, like, ah, oh, somebody else will help those Macedonians, or I mean, those people in Jerusalem. We got it. So let me just pray for us and then let's read this chapter. Creator God, I thank you that you are here in our midst, meeting with us. Thank you for your generosity to us and for the beautiful and life-changing gift that it is. And I pray you would help us. May our words um, that we read this morning and the words that I speak reflect and honor you. Amen. All right. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 1. There it is. There is no need for me to write to you about this service to the Lord's people. So when he says this service in this chapter, he's talking about the giving, like giving generously. That's what he means. For I know your eagerness to help. I've been boasting about it to the Macedonians, telling them that last year in Achaia, you were ready to give, and your enthusiasm has stirred most of them to action. But I'm sending the brothers in order that our boasting about you in this matter should not prove hollow, but that you may be ready as I said you would be. For if any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to say anything about you, would be ashamed of having been so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to visit you in advance, finish the arrangements for the generous gift you had promised. Then it will be ready as a generous gift, not as one grudgingly given. I actually think this section is a little bit funny. Um, It's sort of like Paul is subtly saying to them, I know you want to give because you said you did, and you were really excited about it. And so I hope that the desire you voiced wasn't just faking it. Um, He's kind of using a challenge to them. And he's not so directly, but sort of calling them out for being hypocrites, right? Yes, I know you love to give, and you were ready to give last year for that other situation. Um, And I told everybody about that. I was really excited about that. And I told them how willing you were to give, but you haven't given to this situation or even indicated you're aware of the situation. So were my words in vain? I feel like this is a little bit what's happening here. In verse 3, he actually says he's sending some people to come check on them (laughs) to make sure he wasn't boasting about them in ways that aren't true. I feel like that's kind of intense. And he says he would be ashamed if he had been so confident in their giving and it wasn't real. I feel like this is a first century Paul way of saying to your child, like, oh, I love how excited you were to clean up the kitchen yesterday. You really were excited. I just, I noticed you haven't done it yet. And I was wondering, like, were you going to do it? Was it fake? Um... I'm sure many of you have been in that situation or been the child that did not clean. But he is reminding them, right, of their calling as God's people to give. And not only that, but to be ready to give, which I actually think that word ready is one of the most important parts of this chapter of scripture. He doesn't want them to give grudgingly is the word that he used. He wants them to be ready to give and give freely. So let's read on verse six. He says, remember this. 
Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things and at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. So here Paul starts to use a metaphor to illustrate his point. Whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. So are there any gardeners here, please? Wow, not as many. Okay, oh, you're like slowly like me. Okay, I'm not going to lie to you. I am technically a gardener, but I do not deserve that title um, at all. (laughs) Like, did I garden? Yes. Did anything come up? No. Uh, I, last year I planted a bunch of stuff in my community garden. It was my second year. I was feeling very confident, and I'm going to tell you, I planted garlic in the fall, gardeners, and it got tilled up. All of it was gone. I was so sad. And then I planted like six squash plants, and I was like rounding the little hills, and literally none of them (laughs) sprouted. I don't know what was the deal, but I was like, this is not my gifting. Anyway, this is not the point of this passage, but uh, Paul's point here, for those of you who are gardeners, uh, you know what he's talking about, right? You plant a few seeds you get a few squash, um, if you know what you're doing. (laughs) Uh, You plant a lot of seeds, you hopefully get a lot of squash or some vegetable or flower or whatever. It's not enough just to plant the seeds and just hope for the best. When you sow generously, you not only maybe plant a lot of seeds, but you carefully place them, right? You have to space them intentionally. You maybe test the soil. Um, You make sure that they're not too crowded and you probably water them. The idea of sowing generously here is so much more than just like an input-output kind of situation. He's, He's saying it's not enough just to do the math and hope you get back what you gave. In fact, he says very directly, God loves a cheerful giver. And this line is so popular and so used in church, but it's actually pretty good, right? It's important to understand what Paul's trying to say. It's not enough for them to give just because, In fact, in verse 5, he says he doesn't want them to give like that. It's a matter of heart posture. Paul is exhorting the Corinthians, give abundantly, out of joy, like the Macedonian church who has nothing. And I think he makes a really important distinction in verse 10. He says, he who supplies the seed to the sower will supply and increase your store of seed. And so in this metaphor, God is the great gardener, right? Maybe he's the manager of the greenhouse, so to speak. And he actually supplies the seeds in the first place. Um, The church in Corinth was hesitant to give to the needs of other churches out of scarcity, right? They thought that if they gave what they had, nobody else would take care of their needs. Not only is this very incorrect, um, but it was actually pretty selfish of them in this situation, Paul is reminding them here that the seeds weren't even theirs to begin with, right? They came directly from the Lord himself. And so if God provided the metaphorical seeds of resources and money and whatever they have, he's going to keep doing it even after they give them away. 
So maybe to move on from the gardening metaphor here before we get lost in it. What I think Paul is saying is this. Corinthians, you've been holding back, and I get why. Um, You're afraid that if you give away what you have, you're going to end up in the same situation as the people you're giving to. Um, But you're missing the point, Corinthians, right? It's God who gave you what you had in the first place. Let that free you up to give generously to other people because it isn't yours to keep. And I think that's actually really relieving as a point in this passage. For me, as someone who completely understands the Corinthians' hesitancy, maybe it's just me, but I'm guessing many of us understand this. God gives to us and supplies our needs. Therefore, he can handle us giving those things away to supply other people's needs. That's actually the whole point. (laughs) And case in point, the Macedonian church that Paul was speaking about, they're so joyful that they're now just overflowing with joy. It's, quite frankly, become a bit of a habit for them to give, but not yet for these Corinthians. So let's, let's read the last few verses of this chapter in verse 12. This service, the giving, that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you've proved yourself, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Now, in my opinion, this is where it gets really good in this chapter. After all of his words so far, Paul brings his point to the Corinthians' home. This giving... It's not even about really supplying the needs. I mean, it is in one sense, but it's actually about something completely else. It's turning others to God and causing them to worship and give thanks to the generous giver. One thing we talk about, uh, or I talk to my students about a lot in InterVarsity, is to look for repetition in the passage. Um, So when you're reading something like, where are things... Uh, repeated over and over again. And I see so much repetition in this chapter around different things, but specifically around language like because of and so that. And I circle them like four different times in my notes. This act of giving, Paul is encouraging them, is actually about so much more than just providing monetary needs. Give cheerfully, he says, so that you will abound in every good work. You'll be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. Because of this service, others will praise God. This one habit, this one act of faithfulness, of being ready to give, it's actually about so much more than just writing a check or sending supplies. And Paul points out it's not even about them. All of this, every act of faithfulness and generosity is intended to point back to God and to give praise to the Creator. They, and by extension we, are enriched or blessed or given what we need by God so that we would be ready to freely give, so that others would be led to worship God. Not because of us, um, but because of God's abundant faithfulness. And so I actually see a pattern in this passage, and so I made a little, actually I, I came up with the idea and Isaac made the graphic, but um, We're going to walk through this a little bit. I I think this is something that came to mind as I was studying it. And um, so right at the top, Jesus freely gives himself is where I'm starting. So in chapter 8, just before this, Paul writes, He became poor so that you might become rich. 
This whole process begins and ends with Jesus, right? His work on the cross and his resurrection. None of this matters if Jesus isn't the center. In fact, none of the habits we've been talking about matter if Jesus isn't the center of them. Even if the habit is reading scripture, if we aren't doing it for the sake of Jesus and worshiping him, um, and we're just doing it because we should, it might do something, but it's not honoring or worshiping God in the way that he desires. It's not forming us as disciples of Jesus. These habits are intended to draw us nearer to God and lead us into deeper worship of him. Jesus' free gift of life that he offers us through his death and resurrection is where this whole cycle of generosity begins. And next, the way I read it in the passage, we are ready to give. The word ready um, is repeated a lot in this chapter, which tells you just how important it was to Paul that the Corinthian church be available and ready to give at a moment's notice. These ancient texts in scripture were written somewhat painstakingly um, with limited supplies and you couldn't like delete or erase, right? So you know if a word is repeated like this, it's really important to the author. You couldn't bold or italicize or send a meme, like you needed to repeat a word, right? And so clearly the Corinthian church wasn't ready to give because Paul spends the whole first chunk of this chapter we just read calling them out for this. And I think that readiness to give uh, is a pretty difficult concept for us today too. I know that for me, that's probably the number one thing that has stopped me from being generous or giving in some way. When I'm unprepared, it's much harder for me to give. And I really want to clarify what I mean when I say unprepared um, because I think for most of us, our inclination of what that means is that I don't have enough money saved up to give. But I don't actually think that's what Paul means here. And I don't think that's the point. I do think there are intentional things that we can do with our money in order to make ourselves more readily available to give on a moment's notice. Um, for example, some of our friends, they, they taught us, they opened a separate savings account. It's like, didn't cost anything, you just have to have some money in it. And they did it for generosity specifically. So they give monthly and they do that, but also every month they put a little bit of their paycheck into this generosity like pot. Um, that way, when a friend is in need or a community effort or ministry or something, they can just give right from that pot. Um, But like I said, that's great, but that's not actually what I mean here. I think he's talking about the heart posture of readiness far more than he is talking about the actual physical gift. And I think this is really important because, as I said, claiming that we don't have enough to give is probably the number one reason we don't do it. And I'm speaking directly to us as Jesus followers, um, as the church. I'm not sure where this comes from in us, um, but I feel like I know some non-Christians who are sometimes more readily readily willing to give uh, of their time and their talents and their money than myself or other Christians I know. And I I think that's kind of crazy. (laughs) So what is it about our heart posture that keeps us from being ready To be honest, I think it's rooted, if we're looking at the passage, in selfishness, right? At most, as most things, most sins are rooted in ourselves. I think often we can be like the Corinthians. We say we're really excited and eager to give and we just love giving. Um, But we actually aren't doing much to follow through. I love the show Parks and Recreation, if any of you have seen it. And I think of this scene, this one character, his name's Mark and he has a truck. And one of the other characters named Tom, he needs to move. And Tom's like, Mark, I need your truck. And Mark 
just is like, I hate having a truck. He just hates having something. I mean, you get the idea that like this is the 80th time somebody's asked him to use his truck, right? And I think sometimes we're like Mark, or I'm like Mark. Uh, I should speak to myself. I don't know all of you, but you know, excited to have that thing, that truck, um, not as excited about sharing it, right? We love the paycheck. We hate the feeling of obligation that comes with it. We love to clean our house and have matching pillows on our couch and make it look very hospitable, right? But when someone needs to come over unannounced, oh, I don't know. I got to think about that. Whether that thing is extra time in our schedule or maybe a stimulus check or tax return, literally, maybe it's a truck for you. (laughs) I'm not saying that when we're in need, also, we should take advantage of those things and other people. But I think a lot of the time we feel like those things are ours, They belong to us. It's my tax return. And wow, do I ever feel that (laughs) when I see the numbers in my TurboTax just tick, tick up. Uh, This happened to me literally a week ago. And the number we were getting back was higher than we were expecting. And I was so excited. And then instantly I was like, okay, this is probably not for me. (laughs) It's probably a reason. Uh, But it's clear in the story of scripture, the God that we follow Um, that time and talent and resources, they are not ours to cling to. And I think this is really important, specifically when we're talking about money. And like we said, Paul speaks directly to that in verse 10. He who supplies the seed to the sower will supply and increase your store. It's God that supplies us with what we have, literally everything. And I think some of us have a great understanding of this. Um, And that's beautiful. See, I, I raise my entire budget for the ministry that I work for, for InterVarsity. So we're kind of always in the process of raising funds and things like that. And I've heard other InterVarsity staff joke, and I agree with them, that maybe God put people like us in a job like this because we need to be constantly reminded that God gives me what I have, <laughs> right? Uh, we're not, maybe we're not as holy as people who can just get a paycheck and be like, thank you, God, this came from you. I mean, I get a paycheck, but I know that people are giving to me every month. And so every time I swipe my card at the grocery store, I'm aware of the generosity of other people and of the Lord. And every month when I pay the bills, I'm aware of the grace and the generosity of other people. And it keeps me humble, hopefully. Um, But seriously, I think this is scary and relieving at the same time. Because this is true of all of us, right? Whether we actually raise our support or not. God supplies every last bit of what we have. And I think that's hard to accept in a pull-yourselves-up-by-your-bootstraps kind of culture. Um, But God is always ready to give at the same time. And so when we mirror that, we align our hearts with the Lord's, and we are always ready to be generous in any way, and we find that being obedient is much easier. It's easier to be obedient when I'm ready to give, when my heart is aligned with God's purposes for my paycheck or whatever it might be. So continuing the cycle, when we're ready to give, we naturally respond by supplying the needs of others, right? As Paul says in verse 5, after uh, telling them he's sending some people ahead to make sure they got their gift ready, he says, then it will be ready as a generous gift, not as one grudgingly given. So maybe the point here is that to be ready to give in our hearts means that our gift will be given out of joy and not drudgery. And this is so important. Who cares if I have a little bit of money saved up in my little generosity savings account or if I have my monthly gift set up to give to other people or um, some non-financial way of being generous? If every time I see 
those numbers leave my bank account, I grumble a little, I've totally missed the point. Because remember, our habits are not for us. They are a worshipful offering to God. And we are called to give because God gave to us so that he may be praised and glorified. I'm not called to give because it makes me look good. (laughs) I am not supposed to just supply the needs of others for no reason. There is a reason it comes after being ready in my little cycle and in the chapter, as Paul says it. It cannot come on its own. Otherwise, it's not flowing out of the gospel of Jesus. And so the hope here is that when we supply the needs of others, they would stop and pause and give thanksgiving to God. And I know I'm ironically repeating myself talking about repetition, but this also is repeated all over this chapter. Verse 11, verse 12, verse 15. And I think verse 12 is so important for this part of the cycle. This service, he says, that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. As I've already said, it's not just about the actual act of giving. It's so that people would turn and give praise to their creator, God. And this, by the way, is, again, the reason for any other habit we take up. I feel like I'm saying that a lot. But it's also not just about uh, our own worship of God. It's so that other people would turn and see God and give worship. And that's not something to boost our self-image or make us look good either. That's not something Jesus is concerned with. He's concerned with our devotion and our worship to him and him alone. And that requires living like he did and letting our lives reflect the message of the gospel. Which brings us to the final piece of the cycle, that the gospel is proclaimed. I love how Paul says in verse 13, Because of the service you've done, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ. Wow, our obedience to God accompanies our belief in the gospel. In other words, what we do with the gospel of Jesus and how it's reflected in our actions really matters. The message of the cross, the reality that the creator God sent himself into this world to begin the process of redemption of his people, it should go far beyond our head knowledge, right? It has to transcend our hearts and affect us fully, transforming all parts of ourselves, including including how we express generosity. This makes me think of a well-known story in the book of Luke where a rich young guy comes up to Jesus and he's like, hey, how can I have eternal life? And Jesus has a little chat with him where the young man says, oh, I kept all the commandments. I'm very faithful. Um, And Jesus eventually says, okay, well, go and sell all your stuff and then come back and then you'll have treasure in heaven. And the young man walks away sad as the Bible translated it. He does not become a follower of Jesus. It's too high a price. Now, I'm not necessarily saying you need to go and sell all your stuff or that I need to go sell all my stuff. That's between you and the Lord. But I think the message is clear here, right? The gospel is good news to the world around us. And Paul is encouraging the Corinthians to see their giving as a way to proclaim the gospel itself, And I think so often we limit the power of the gospel to just a few verses or chapters or themes in scripture. But all of scripture proclaims the story of God and his people. And the gospel affects so much more than what happens to us when we die. It's the redemption to all of creation, including our money and our talents and our time. And so the cycle repeats itself 
right? Because what is Jesus freely giving himself to us if it's not the gospel? Paul wants the Corinthians to be ready to give freely, modeling Jesus on the cross for us, and thus making the gospel go out to a world that needs it. When we give freely, we proclaim the gospel. And I'm not saying that we should proclaim the gospel without using words or whatever. I actually think using words is really important um, when we're sharing who Jesus is and his work on the cross that he accomplished. But when we practice the habit of generosity and of giving, of being ready to give, we proclaim that Jesus is making all things new and that we are not tied to the number of free hours we just earned or the number in our bank account. When we freely give of ourselves to others, we proclaim we think Jesus is more important than anything else and that we believe everything we have comes from him. We are called to give because God gave to us so that God may be praised and glorified. Freely giving to others is a habit that demonstrates that the gospel is fully realized in us and leads us to understanding Jesus' free gift of life. See, the Corinthians were hesitant because they were living in a scarcity mentality. And they were probably a little bit selfish with the things that they had. But when we get in the habit of giving, we sow generously, as Paul puts it. We align ourselves more deeply with God's mission and his will and his purposes. And after all, isn't that what following Jesus is all about? Realizing our deep need for a savior, our utter desperation and insufficiency, our empty spiritual bank account, so to speak, and receiving the free gift of God's grace and joining him in redeeming his world. So all of that said, I have a few invitations for us, and worship team, you can come on up if you would like. I want to consider a few things this morning. First of all, what hinders you from being ready to give? Is it a little bit too much focus on ourselves? If so, take some time this morning and confess to the Lord. Ask him to change your heart. Is it scarcity mentality? Is it a fear that God will not provide for you? Are you ready to give at a moment's notice on a regular basis? Maybe for you it's reevaluating what it is that keeps you from wanting to give freely and generously. And maybe this means talking with someone about what the gospel really is, realizing the unending and innumerable ways God has blessed you or your income or your home or your talents in some way. Maybe you do have the heart posture of being ready, um, but you feel disorganized in life and unable to actually get to the next part of that cycle and give. You could, like our friends taught us, open up a savings account for generosity or look at your finances, actually do some practical ways of seeing how can you reevaluate. Maybe it's reevaluating your monthly budget or making one for many of us who don't have one. I think keeping track of finances and our possessions is a huge way that God can lead us to reevaluate our readiness, not just financially, but relationally and with your home or your space. And a question about this is, are you actually rested and refreshed enough by God? Have you made enough space to be filled by the creator so that you are able to pour out with overflowing joy and generosity? And my last question to consider is, how can you see generosity as worship to God? Your time, maybe, or your talents. 
Instead of being generous because you should or because you know Jesus said so, how might God be challenging you to see this as a way to worship the God who gave you everything? I think a lot of the time, we in the world around us, we approach generosity based on our excess. Like, where do I have a little money lying around that I can give? Where do I have a surplus of time or something like that? And I think those are good things to consider. But as we close, remember the Macedonians. There's absolutely no way they were giving out of excess. They were literally in extreme poverty, and yet they gave richly, is the word Paul uses. So I challenge us not to just walk away today and look at where does it feel the most comfortable to be generous. Um, Look actually specifically at the places where it feels uncomfortable and pay attention to that discomfort. Maybe God is inviting you into deeper discipleship to him by giving in a way you feel like you can't. Jesus freely gave himself to us and certainly not out of excess. There was nothing left when Jesus gave himself. He gave all of himself unto death that we might have life and relationship with him. He became poor that we might become rich. And when we practice readily and freely giving of ourselves to the world around us, we proclaim the good news of the gospel to a world that desperately needs to hear it. To close with Paul's line, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift.